Hello, everyone. Welcome to PwC Tax Byte podcast series. My name is Peter, and I'm very happy to welcome in my virtual recording studio Helena and Alexi. Today, we want to talk about CBAM. CBAM. We're going to talk about what is it, why is it relevant for the audience here, uh, what can be the impact. Eh? But before we dive into the topic itself, allow me to introduce to you um, Helena and Alexi. So first of all, we have uh, Helena Kaluwe with us. Helena is a customs specialist and she's focusing on sustainable supply chains. So clearly uh, a right person to have here uh, regarding the topic. Uh, secondly, we have Alexis de Meyer. Alexis is leading the tax and legal practice on sustainability. Uh, so again, he's going to bring an interesting perspective to this. Um, CBAM, maybe Alexis, I want to kick off this podcast by raising the question, why is this topic actually relevant for our audience here in the podcast? Good question, Peter. Um, actually, it's not an easy one because the, the CBAM, so the Carbon Border Adjustment Mechanism, um, it looks like a tax. It smells like a tax. There are some reporting obligations like taxes. But according to the EU, this is not a tax. So sometimes we feel a bit like Magritte situation. Um, so for the EU, this is a climate measure. And we all know why the EU didn't say it's not a tax, because at the EU, we need unanimity if we want to have a, a change in fiscal policy. But also, who is administrating the, 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 this uh, CBAM is also the G DG Tax Sud. So uh, even though it's not officially a tax, it, it looks like really a tax. And of course, if something goes wrong on this topic, well, I'm pretty sure that it will be in the end tax professionals that will need to manage uh, anything relating to CBAM. So clearly, this is something that we see uh, CBAM will come back to the table of tax professionals. Yeah, thanks, Alexis. Clear. So. You never know if thing goes wrong, uh, the audience here, uh, tax experts, professionals in their respective organizations better keep a close eye on CBAM. So then comes the second question. What is actually CBAM? Helena, can you enlighten us on that? Again, very good question, Peter. Uh, CBAM, it's the carbon border adjustment mechanism. And it's, it's an instrument, it's a mechanism that's designed by uh, the European Commission and it will put a fair price on the carbon emissions of certain carbon intensive products that are imported in the European Union. And so we call them CBAM products. When they are imported in the European Union, the CBAM will be due. Um, the CBAM products that are targeted today are aluminium, hydrogen, iron and steel, cement, fertilizers and electricity. Also some precursors and uh, some downstream products are also in the scope already. What's also um, important to know is that CBAM enters into force in two phases. Uh, so we start with the transitional phase. It started already, it, was, it started on the 1st of October of this year. And then we have the final phase that will start in January, 2026. The first phase is also called the reporting phase or the learning phase and it's during this phase at companies, they only need to report. They need to report on their emissions. Um, they need to report on what they are importing in the union. They need to report the quantities, the origin, uh, where do the products come from, where were they produced, in which installations. A lot of information that needs to be reported because the European Commission, they want to learn and they want to understand um, uh, what the uh, 
what the companies in the in the EU are doing. Then in the final phase, that's the financial phase, um, from then you will need to buy CBAM certificates. Eh? When you want to import a CBAM product in the EU, you will need to buy uh, a certificate to be able to import it. So in a nutshell, what is CBAM today? It's a new reporting obligation uh, that applies to a certain scope of products in the carbon heavy industries. And within a few years, it will be a financial obligation as well in the form of CBAM certificates that will need to be bought. Okay, uh, thanks, Celine. So this is very interesting because in the end, also a financial obligation uh, and consequence will come from that. So um, then, Alexia, I wonder, why was this initiative needed in the European Union? What are they trying to achieve with this? Well, I hope that all our listeners don't have to be convinced about the urgency and, and the fight for climate change. So if we look at the, the Paris Accord, uh, where we try uh, as a, to see the Earth um, as, a, as a common asset, we try to to target 1.5 degree of, of increase. We already also in the news that we reached two degrees. So there is an urgency need, uh, an urgent need to to really decarbonize value chains, and we should be also honest with ourselves. Companies, industries, have and just human activity um, uh, have a, a significant impact on that. So, so this is an important one. The the second item is. I don't want our listeners to to think about the 1.5 or the 2 degrees. This is not the most important item. What is actually important is the speed of the increase or the speed of the decarbonization. So clearly the pace there, if we want to have an impact altogether, is to make things ASAP. And why we are saying that? Because all companies, all stakeholders that are taking initiatives on decarbonization today, will actually not trigger any impact for, for tomorrow. It will be for in the 40 or 50 years. So everything we do today is actually for uh, the next generation. And that's the reason why the EU came with the EU Green Deal and the Fit for 55 package, where the, the aim is to clearly decrease the greenhouse gas emissions by 55% um, by 2030. Now, if we go back, Peter, on the history, uh, a bit, and I will not uh, uh, go go too far. But end of the 90s, we have the the COP, the UN COP in Kyoto, that that installed the, the polluter pay principle, and the EU was already an important uh, player there to say, well, what do we need? Is we have installed a kind of carbon market. Eh? So that's what the EU ETS, emissions trading system. So a company wanted to. Uh, uh, generate greenhouse gas emissions, a company needed to buy allowances or quotas. And if you get more quotas, you can sell. So it's a kind of uh, a, a market of, of pollution. That's what we, we, if you go back to the headlines of the newspapers at that time, that was basically the, 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 the titles and the headlines at that time. Now, what we also observe is that with the EU ETS system, uh, we, we observe a kind of carbon leakage. What is carbon leakage? It's basically a competitive disadvantage for the EU, because in the ES case, you basically go at the border of EU, you install your production facilities, and you generate greenhouse gas emissions, and you are not part of the EU. But we have to also be clear, the greenhouse gas emissions have no borders, and this doesn't make sense. So that's the reason why. In this Fit for 55 package, the EU has decided to shift 
the EU ETS from an EU ETS system to this CBAM. And the objective is actually not to look at the installations and the production facilities, but really look at the physical flows of the goods. Now, to be in line with the World Trade Organization uh, regulations, uh, this is a very touchy uh, trade uh, uh, barrier, uh, if we call it a barrier. So basically, um, the EU has designed the, the CBAM as a mechanism to make sure that it meets the WTO mechanism. We know it's very controversial. A number of jurisdictions are actually uh, fighting against the CBAM, but we also see on the opposite that a number of jurisdictions are looking at having uh, also their own CBAM mechanism. And that's what the EU wants to, to achieve, is to impact the level playing field. Why? Because if a company has paid a carbon tax overseas, well, you can offset that in the EU with your CBAM to avoid a kind of double taxation mechanism. And this is really powerful because we see, and, and I'm pretty confident, Peter, that the EU will achieve this objective because we see the UK has already issued a discussion draft uh, in 23 to implement uh, own CBAM. We hear Japan, we even hear some US senators are discussing potentially to implement something similar. So clearly we see uh, a level playing field is changing there and, and that's the background, uh, Peter, of the CBAM. Well, thanks, Alexi. Um, I think that's very clear. So I think a lot of people listening uh, to this podcast will now think, okay, relevant developments, am I impacted? And, and what is going to be the impact? So Helena, maybe we can deep dive a bit more now in, into these questions, like uh, maybe first of all, who of the audience will be impacted? Yeah, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, when you look at the look at the regulation um, and, and, and where it will apply to which type of companies it will apply, then we see that actually many businesses and, and many stakeholders will be impacted. And so when you look at the typical supply chain of a CBAM product, and we start somewhere outside of the EU uh, at an installation or a production site where the CBAM product is created. Yeah? Um, and that's where the CBAM supply chain starts. Yeah? This non-EU installation, uh, they are the ones that should calculate and determine the direct and the indirect uh, embedded emissions in the production process of that CBAM product. Yeah? So they have the key information of what needs to be reported in, uh, in the EU in your uh, CBAM declaration. Um, then next in line, uh, you can have uh, some suppliers in the supply chain. Um, and then ultimately, ultimately you have the uh, the European importer, eh? the, the stakeholder that will import the CBAM product in the EU. Um, and it is actually that import eh, that will be the critical element uh, or the critical event to trigger the CBAM reporting uh, and eventually also the financial obligation. Uh, so the authorities, they will look at the importer. Uh, and for every CBAM product that you import in the European Union, a report will need to be submitted. Uh, so that's that's uh, another very critical um, uh, element or a critical stakeholder in the CBAM supply chain. Um, then next, you have the CBAM declarant. Uh, it's not that if you are an importer, uh, you do not necessarily have to be the CBAM declarant, but you will need to appoint one. And you can, for example, uh, outsource it to your indirect uh, customs representative. So also there, the, the customs representatives, they also play a big role in uh, the CBAM reporting. And then 
the CBAM products, they are imported, and they are in the union. Um, next, you have the buyers in the European Union. Yeah? So uh, even when you are buying locally a CBAM product that has already been imported, know that CBAM is applicable. So the CBAM costs, the cost of compliance, um, will be added to the price of the CBAM product. Yeah? It's, it's inevitable. Um, so also there we see a big impact to um, the industries in the union uh, that uh, are working with the CBAM products. So, um, yeah, so you mean industries that are working with, with, with CBAM is the impact and only for the seven industries that you, you indicated in the beginning of the podcast? Uh, today it is, but uh, I think it's also very important to mention um, so that the listeners know the um, the legislation. It, it allows for um, a very quick expansion of the of uh, of the scope of CBAM. Yeah? So today we have the seven industries. Um, the European Commission started with those because they saw that there was a lot of carbon leakage in those industries and they also thought it would be quite straightforward to gather the CBAM uh, data for these uh, industries. Um, but they do want to expand it and eventually cover the whole EU ETS product scope uh, and even go beyond that. Um, every product where they see carbon leakage happening, uh, once We've been through the CBAM learning phase. Uh, the European Commission uh, would like to expand it to uh, a lot more products uh, categories as well. Okay, so this is kind of a test case in a way. Uh, and, yeah. and if things go well, clear expectation that it will broaden up and, and, and carbon prices will be incorporated in the, in the product price as a result of that uh, more broadly than seven industries. So then I think uh, my next question would be as from when uh, do we expect that this all will have an impact? Yeah. Um, CBM comes with a lot of different dates and deadlines, yeah? so we started the transitional period. Uh, it's happening today, yeah? so the started on the 1st of October. It will end the 31st of December 2025, because then we will have the uh, financial phase that will enter into force. Um, during the transitional periods, you will need to submit quarterly returns. Uh, the first deadline there is the 31st of January, um, and the next one, it will be every quarter that you will need to do uh, a reporting. Uh, also good to know is that the first reports um, will be modifiable, and you can uh, put in corrections. Um, the first report can be corrected until the 31st of July, and even later, you can also request um, corrections if... Uh, it's because the European Commission and, and we as well, we expect that, uh, yeah, that there will be uh, corrections needed because the uh, the information is so uh, scattered. Okay, thanks. That all sounds pretty short-term deadlines and, and dates you mentioned. So, uh, Alexi, what does it mean? Uh, what's next and, and what's, what's the experience we have with all of this so far? Well. Elena just indicate the timing and we we must be clear that the the timing is is critical it's a, it's a biggest challenge because by the end of set of January um, companies that import uh, CBAM related products must actually uh, do something so it means that they have to prepare a reporting and 
to be clear, prepare a report is not complicated, but it's to get the data to insert or input in the, in, in the reporting that is complex sometimes. So this is something that companies must have a game plan uh, ready. Are we in a scope, out of scope, do we have products? And, and this is the second trap or the second experience that I'm happy to share is <clears throat> I think the, the EU misled a lot of companies by saying we target industries. We target uh, the, the steel and iron industry. We target the fertilizer industry. But actually, it's not an industry-driven regulation. This is a product-driven regulation. So you can be in a service business but you import a number of products subject to CBAM and you will be in scope. Um, even SMEs, uh, small companies will be in scope. If you import a number of uh, uh, CBAM products or, or products subject to CBAM, sorry, um, that, that are above 150 euro, you are targeted by the measure. So this is the, the complexity is that um, there is also a lot of misleading communication. And there, we have seen a number of, of, of jurisdictions in Europe that have been more friendly than others. Uh, in the Netherlands, for instance, they, the customs authorities looked at the, the history of, uh, of, of the import uh, declarations, and they looked and they sent a letter to some taxpayers saying, well, you may have uh, CBAM products, so watch out, be careful. While, of course, here we hear that in other countries, it's pretty rare that we have this initiative. So it's a risk assessment that companies must do their own homework and they actually do a check. They must do a check. Do we have that? So this is clearly something, it's sometimes a matter of risk assessment. And it's not because you don't import a product in 23 that maybe you will not have an imported product in 24. So it means also you need to have a process in-house to say, well, someone needs to, to, to look at this on a recurring basis. And this leads me, Peter, to the next, uh, uh, I would say, uh, elephant in the room, is who is in charge of CBAM. Everybody uh, is busy. <laughs> uh, everybody has already uh, a, a lot of things to do. And you have a number of discussions. Is it CBAM? Who needs to take care? Who is accountable? Is it tax? Is not tax? Is it supply chain, logistics? Is it finance? There, clearly, we, we see that it's a bit sometimes a hot potato game because uh, many companies have, have a resource constraints. Uh, but clearly, as I said in the intro, uh, if something will go wrong with CBAM, for sure it will go back to the, to the tax team. Um, and that's the reason why I'm always saying that tax professionals cannot simply uh, be consulted or informed in, in, a, in a CBAM uh, discussion. They should be part of, uh, they are clearly a, a, a stakeholder of, of, that, uh, of that adjustment mechanism and they need to take their own responsibility, but they will need to, to manage the, the third item I want to, to basically share is the data. A number of data is easy to, to collect, but we also see that when it goes to the greenhouse gas emissions data, uh, well, some companies have more difficulties than others. And, and there it will depend on the maturity of the sustainability team. Have they done exercise on scope one, scope two, scope three emissions? So typically try to get a bit carbon footprint uh, already uh, exercise. If, if this is the case, they don't start from scratch. We see also companies that are subject to ETS today, 
they already have much more data uh, than a company that is not subject to ETS. So it's important to see, and, and sometimes uh, uh, I like to, 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 to use that image or that metaphor is, you need to know if you need to climb the Ardennes, the Alps or the Himalaya. And, and for that, basically, you need to know a bit where you are and where do you want to go. And that's where I was saying you need to have that roadmap. Um, so, so this is the, the experience so far. Um, last but not least, there is also the question about capacity, not only uh, 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 from companies, but if you talk about, Elena was referring to the, the role of brokers. Well, we see that brokers, customs brokers, are, are, are also uh, re receive uh, many requests, but also companies located in Asia, for instance, in the US, they receive now tens of requests. So clearly, you need to have uh, manage your stakeholders in a 360-degree way. You have sometimes related parties, sometimes third parties, sometimes government authorities, sometimes language issues, sometimes different protocols. So managing those different stakeholders, this is clearly something uh, we observed can take time. Well, thank you, Alexi, for sharing that insight and experience uh, with us. So I think that brings us to the end of this, this podcast on, on CBAM. Um, I noted down a few points uh, during the podcast that I wanted to share as, as, as closure of this, this podcast. I think if I would be in the audience of this podcast, the first thing that I would do is to check if I'm in scope of this, assess the product portfolio you have, probably the good starting point will be to look at commodity codes and see if you are impacted by CBAM. Um, if you would conclude that um, you are uh, in scope of CBAM, yeah, then action will be required. Deadlines are sharp. That's what I noted down. And I hear also that you need a lot of data and, uh, and you need then to train people to find the data in your organization to be compliant with the CBAM requirements already by um, yeah January 2024. So I think only 65 days uh, are, are after the recording of this podcast available to really make sure you are compliant. So I think a lot of challenges are coming uh, towards us. Um, if you need any further information on this, if you're in the audience and, and you want to dig deeper in this topic, uh, don't hesitate to reach out to Alexi and, and Helena on this. Um, with that, I would like to thank you for uh, joining this podcast, to listening in, and thank my speakers, of course, Helena and Alexi, for being with me here today and hope to see you in the next episode. Thank you.